Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is the general manager of the Jackson Wink MMA Academy, where he's built an amazing flow of fighters coming in and out from all over the world. He's a black belt in Gracie Barra Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and has successfully competed most of his life. He's also a U.S. Navy veteran. Please welcome my guest today, Mr. Michael Lubomov. How are you doing today, sir? How are you, sir? Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you're able to join us. So so what we do with every one of my guests, we I want to go back to the beginning and find out where was that that first interest, that first spark that led to you getting involved in martial arts? Uh, sure. I mean, that's uh, pretty much from the beginning of uh, the start of uh, UFC in a way. And uh um, and I was born in Russia um, and uh, uh, kind of had a background uh, in uh, Sambo uh, as a martial artist. I'm sure you know what Sambo is, right? Yes, so, yeah. you know, it's a national sport in, in, in Russia and it's a very successful uh, martial arts that gets people, you know, competing in a variety of uh, martial arts. Um, it's got great base, it's got, you know, stand-up, uh, especially the combat Sambo. It's got stand-up, it's got takedowns, similar to judo. Uh, and then it's got obviously great groundwork and uh, so it's pretty well-rounded sport mm -hmm. so uh, kind of like you know since 1996 uh, when I came first to America well I actually came in 1995 and UFC was just you know kind of on the rise and uh, uh, I remember watching uh, the first uh, like UFC tapes uh, with Alec Taktarov and Igor Zinoviev and yep. those guys competing uh, back in the day. Actually, I ended up moving to Brooklyn, New York, and I used to go to the club where Igor Zinoviev trained. Oh, wow. uh, so I caught him at the time when um, when he fought Frank Shamrock, when he just like, uh, broke his collarbone. So uh, I trained. They had this little room, literally like, I don't know, like almost like a closet you know mm -hmm. and uh, it was kind of fun to watch like the pioneers of that sport and a lot of like the training partners that were coming there and all the guys like igor probably was the biggest name but then i think alec taktorov came in there a couple of times I and mean, it was brooklyn you know so a lot of russian russian speaking people there right so okay and uh that was to me kind of the birth of my desire to get involved in that sport you know Okay. So obviously stopped me training and just started watching it and I was like, oh wow. Just unfortunately I never got to compete in MMA uh, mm -hmm. like that uh, because of uh, I came here by myself when I was like 15 years of age. Oh wow. So for me it was more like I had to settle down, figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So mm -hmm. then I had kids and so it wasn't easy, but I competed in Sambo previously, Jiu Jitsu, Judo. 
uh, and then uh, all that type of stuff. Except uh, and the combat sambo is similar to MMA, you know, because mm-hmm. you throw punches, you you kick, you do everything, you just without the cage, you know. It's more like amateur MMA in a way. Okay. So did you compete in when you were in Russia at all then? Yeah. Okay. So how did you get involved in that? How did you initially, did you start Sambo first? Did you start Jiu-Jitsu yeah. first? Yeah, Sambo, Sambo. Because what, uh, as, a, as a young kid, like I, I grew up in Moscow. So there was uh, uh, this very, if you look it up, it's called Sambo Semudi. Oh, yes. Uh, it's yep. the biggest, uh, biggest uh, uh, schools, um um in in sambo in moscow right so it's like it's a huge program where you know kids live go to school and grow into you know sambo practitioners so that's where i went first it was an insane experience in a huge building with lots of mats and mm-hmm. just uh just very interesting experience and uh, that's how it kind of started in there so what made you first want to get started in it was there was it was it your was it something your parents wanted you to do was it your choice well it's uh it was kind of like you know how um how kids usually don't know what they, what they want right when they're young so i mean i did a little gymnastic you know play soccer play a little hockey so just you you know you stick your nose into everything when a kid you know okay so, uh, until you kind of find yourself in, in, in a way and that samba cemetery was like judo kodokan right like when people go to japan to study judo right like kodokan is like the biggest hugest school right oh, definitely. uh for so in moscow so samba cemetery is 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 like Kodokan, but for Sambo. Okay, and and so what age were you when you first started competing then? Uh, I think I was uh, I'm trying to remember, maybe like eleven or something, or ten. Okay, something and did like you that. have success right away? Do you remember your first ever competition? Actually, I do. It's funny because uh, I started and I barely knew anything, and I remember the, there was a tournament coming up, and literally like. I know I must have trained maybe I don't know a week, a week and a half, mm-hmm. and they needed to fill in the weight. <laughs> um, they needed to fill in the weight, and I remember like, so they just threw me in there, just like, hey, you know, go there at the beginner level, whatnot, you'll be okay. And I remember, I remember what place I took, but I remember just winning match after match with just one simple technique. I was just like like get inside the people like you know how you do like the fireman's carry mm-hmm. i remember just showing it probably like a week prior to it i remember like getting in there and just just without even knowing any proper techniques in the way and just <laughs> getting under people like picking them up and throwing them on their back and like pinning them and stuff and wow. it was just like just mostly a natural reaction to it mm-hmm. and so when i feel like you know i'm not that bad you know i remember i'm winning i don't you know i was 11 obviously i'm right. 42 now so i don't remember how many matches i won but I, like vaguely remember that i did very well like i just like won one after another after another and people like the coaches and they always tell me like damn man like did you <laughs> learn that i'm like oh, i'm just watching you know nice. so it's kind of you in a way like i can i can be good at this so was that kind of addictive then and made you want to keep competing, I suppose, after doing that well your first time? <laughs> you know, yeah, it was started first well, but the problem with this is, is I was a really bad student. So so um, it was kind of hard, you know, in Russia in the 80s and 90s. It was like, you know, and I kind of grew up in the street in a way. Mm-hmm. So I was hard. And, and, and that school uh, required a lot of like... Uh, it's like almost, uh, you know, when you go to university or college, can you wrestle for college, right? Like you have to have good grades, you have to study and stuff like that. So it's kind of like very similar. So I, it was kind of, for me, it was like on and off, on and off. 
Okay. It's mostly in America when I got here, I got deeply like really involved like in jiu-jitsu. I completely fell in love with it and it just changed my life in so many ways. It actually opened up the doors for me to run one of the best MMA academies in the world. Oh, definitely. So then, okay, let's fast forward then. You moved to the U.S. You started training in Brooklyn. I trained in MMA a lot with okay. a lot of fighters. But my biggest focus was at the time for like jiu-jitsu, mostly ground fighting because I loved it so much. And I love I love the gi competition, like the training in the gi for some reason because i really like judo and the sambo involves uh you know a jacket right so there's a lot of throws and a lot of trips and things like that so i really like that and uh and uh it's uh so uh i kind of didn't start competing till like later okay uh, close to my 30s you know so uh because again i was trying to figure out what to do with my life there was a lot of work trying to settle down in this country like i said i was by myself there was no help from anybody i mm-hmm. had to work it wasn't it wasn't an easy path but uh and but then when i started competing i pretty much uh at the local and regional levels i won everything like always like the first place you know so this kind of always haunts me in the way like well if i had opportunity to um to do it from the early age and like stick to it and I had all the right circumstances I, I, I could see myself being actually world champion because I do really well like in my own age brackets like I rarely ever got anyone like dominate me or anything so and uh, it practices or anytime I traveled all over the world and I trained with a lot of even younger kids and everything like I always held my own and, and some more you know so it's kind of always haunts me like damn man I wish I you know, I didn't have a father figure, in, in my, you know, because my father lived in Ukraine, actually. I'm from Russia. Oh, wow. I was born in Russia, but then I grew up in Ukraine, so I used to go and back, go back and forth. So um, to me, that's kind of like, oh, damn it. But like I said, I worked with who's of who in mixed martial arts, starting from Khabib Nurmagomedov and all the Russians coming in in the beginning of the sport and into, you know, John Jones and Holly Holm and Diego Sanchez. And wow. I mean, thousands of fighters come through me, you know. So, so my first ever I, experience, with, uh, I knew nothing about Sambo and I was at a martial arts tournament in California in 1995, ended up going to a, a seminar with Gokar. That was my first time ever oh, seeing Russians, which a legend. Yeah. A legend. Yeah, definitely a legend. He was, that was, that was fun. I mean, it, even just the two hours I was with him, I learned so much. Just suddenly, did yeah. you ever get to, met, did you ever get to work with him at all? Uh, not to work with him, but I met him at one of the Bellator fights when he was, uh, uh, I don't remember if he was one of his Armenian fighters. He was uh, cornering and stuff. And okay. I took a picture with him, shook hands, and we kind of exchanged some pleasantries. And uh, But big fan of him. Uh, he's a legend for sure. Nice. So at, at what point did you start uh, teaching others? When What what brought that on? Well, it was, uh, you know, as I started progressing more in jiu-jitsu, so uh, I mostly focused uh, on getting better myself in a way. So I think at around brown belt, I started more like helping out because I trained uh, when I got so hooked on jiu-jitsu. I was, uh, I was actually in the car business at the time. I was living in New Jersey, and uh, like my life was kind of in a standstill, and I was dealing with a lot of things. And and even though I was making really, really good money, mm-hmm. uh, selling like BMWs and like high-end cars and stuff. Oh, wow! And then it was like I was given a, uh, I was given a, a test drive to one of the clients, and I kind of like and I would make a wrong turn, and I literally 
like this dead end street and right around the corner from where I lived, where I worked. And then uh, boom, in, in front of me is like Hanzo Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And I'm like, damn, this is a sign. <laughs> so like literally, I this when I caught him and onto Jiu Jitsu, and then I stepped in, got my ass handed to me by a black belt, and and I was like, damn, I never want to feel like this ever again. And it was just the end of the story. And then I just got involved. And then ended up quitting the sport because I met uh, I met one of the first original uh, managers uh, that was bringing uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, who brought Habib Nurmagomedov here in the United States, and on top of all the other bunch of Russians that started coming in, you know. Mm-hmm. So and then I ended up being part of that management where we started building all the Russian fighters, uh, and I started traveling with them all over the world, all over the country to different camps. So that's when I kind of got into teaching and helping and learning okay. everything about light game. That's how I ended up actually here in Albuquerque running the gym. So then how did you end up uh, meeting Greg Jackson? How did that come about? All right. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was Greg Jackson and Coach Mikuljan. Uh, that's how I met them both. Uh, okay. I actually met them both in a couple of the events with Jen Jones where we shared. Uh, there was a... Uh, Habib fought on the uh, same card that was the uh, John Jones and Alexander, Alexander Gustafson, the first fight. I'm sure you know about it, right? It's uh-huh. a Hall of Fame fight. It was one of the greatest light heavyweight bouts in the history of the sport. So Habib fought on that same card and where he beat Pat Healy. I believe it was his fifth or sixth fight. So I was there. This was uh, prior to... Um, um, when actually allowed to film backstage. So back then the cameras were allowed to be there. So I actually always proud of myself. You know how they do like the UFC embedded, right? Where they, 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 they uh, film the backstage stuff. Mm-hmm. So I believe I kind of created it because I was like one of the first ones to record the whole path of Habib Nurmagomedov, like behind the stage, behind the scenes, how he's kind of weighed, getting ready, pretty much. I recorded, did like seven part, part series for YouTube and uh, uh, put it out there, you know, and that thing just blew up. And I, every time I was going to UC events, I was, or Bellator events, I was like recording all the backstage stuff. And then all that stuff just started blowing up with you know thousands of views and people writing to me, we want to see more, we want to see more because it was like so like no one ever seen anything really like behind the stage like Pride used to do it remember right back in the day Pride was like putting out all that backstage stuff, and then uh, I started doing it and then literally they like you see like shut it down, uh, and and, uh, and 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 boom they come out with UFC uh, UFC uh, embedded and you know backstage stuff I was like huh interesting you know <laughs> so but that's during all those my trips uh, that's when I went I met Greg Jackson and stuff and uh, and then after that as uh, I came to Albuquerque actually one time with Adlan Amagov and Rustam Habilov um, they were training at Greg Jackson's camp um, they were also like the pioneers in UFC for Russian-speaking fighters and stuff. So I came there once, explored that, you know, lived with them in the house, uh, helped them die and get them ready for fights, had a lot of fun, trained and whatnot. Then went home, you know, and then came again with another fighter, Timur Vali, if uh, he's not, he's, uh, he wasn't UFC then, but he's in UFC now. Okay. And, uh, you know, so 
uh, that's when I came to uh, the old gym. They had like an old location where it was much smaller. They were, they were like blowing up and stuff with uh, so many fighters trying to come and train here, especially from overseas. And uh, they only had like limited amount of dorm space, I know, like for three, four people, you know. So, uh, and there was a smaller gym, right? But it was already so famous, you know, Rashad Evans, George St. Pierre, you know, John Jones, all Holly Holm, all this, Diego Sanchez, right? Tim Kennedy, Brian Stan. I mean, you can go on and now all these guys mm-hmm. training there so and all these foreign athletes trying to get here but they were having a hard time you know finding a place to live and, and uh you know transportation and whatnot so that's when the expansion began and uh jackson week was one of the first ones to start uh to, to, to build a huge facility with like dorm rooms and apartments and all kind of stuff uh, inside the gym you know so and at that point when that transition was happening i came with timur valif and uh you know coach wink came up to me uh coach wink is actually the owner of the gym of the new one you know so he invested in build the whole thing you know so he came up to me and said hey if you send me some fighters um you know i'll, I'll pay you obviously you know we have that pipeline or whatnot because i need to you know make sure we occupy the dorm rooms and um and I'm sure, sure, you know, and, and in between the conversations, he said, yeah, we're like looking for a general manager. And I uh, literally like, well, uh, let's talk about it. And I sent him my resume. I had like, you know, be, because I was Russian and I speak Russian, I speak perfect English in a way. Uh, I have martial arts background. I know the sport very well. And I've been around business for I have, like, also extensive experience in computers i build websites i do graphics i do video editing i mean like uh, like professional way like Mm -hmm. like if you look at all the content that comes out and our websites i mean we're talking about like very high level production so i do that all you know and then uh and coach me oh damn you know and literally the next day he's taking me to a new facility while i was in construction and start showing me around and uh you know showing me all this this huge 30,000 square feet building, you know, I'm like, oh, damn. And then we just sat in the car, spoke for like hour, two hours, and he literally like hired me on the spot. And then wow. I went back home to New Jersey, packed my car, and then my wife was um, was still in university, finished her degree, so I'm like, hey, let me try it. I'm going to drive up there. So I drove like 30 hours, and that's... Uh, and that's how the story begins in the way. And then, boom, five, six years later, I mean, the gym is packed with 60 fighters, <laughs> nonstop fighters coming in from everywhere. So uh, that's kind of my beginning here. Wow. And yeah. how, how much longer before your wife moved down, before she finished? It was about a year. Yeah. Okay. She had one year left. She was studying for an accountant, and then she got her CPA over here. So we literally... Like I lived on East Coast majority of my time in America, so but absolutely I love it here. I had like uh, really like like humidity wasn't for me, and you know, and I, even though I came from Moscow, uh, from a big city, like I lived in New York, New Jersey, tri-state area for a very long time, and I hated it there. Like I need space. I need good weather, you know, it's so mm-hmm. nice over here. Um, I had like very bad allergies in, in, in the East Coast. And I literally moved here and all my allergies were gone instantly. Wow. So cost of living is much better. I bought a house here. My wife got a phenomenal job and I have the gym. I should get to train all the time. There's Gracie Baja right there because we have a big connection with Gracie Baja. It's uh-huh. our ex family. So I'm um it's literally around the corner around the corner for me, like five minute drive, even less. And then um 
just like non-stop i mean this is like the little mecca of mma here you know just everyone just trains so it was like perfect perfect environment for me wow sounds like a just a dream job for you <laughs> I mean, oh yeah that's, that's... true man trust me I, I could never imagine as i was growing up watching those like vhs tapes and watching pride events and those broken uh cable boxes remember mm-hmm. back in the day where you get like three in the morning you're watching further and Melaninko fight, and yep. you know, those guys, and I always show those backstage backstage footage. And I was always to myself, like, man, it would be so cool to be part of like a cool, uh, cool team, you know, or something. And I, honest to God, this is what I told myself. And I always said, like, I don't want no like millions of dollars, I think, you know, I don't want none of it, I just want to be happy, right. you know. And it, exactly what I said and dreamed of happened. And the thing is, I didn't even pursue it that way. Mm-hmm. It just literally like dropped in my head out of nowhere. Wow. And that's why like like wow. The, the way that things work in a lot in mysterious ways. That's great. So what uh, you know, let's say you had some people that were deciding between different gyms. What makes Jackson Wink different than other MMA schools, other MMA gyms? What you know, what what do you think makes them different, makes them stand out? Well, you know, it's like Jackson Greg Jackson's camp is one of the most original camps in the history of the sport right so originally uh you know i mean the the the, this camp is synonymous with with mma like with the sport of mma like with the rise of ufc this camp rose right i mean it's the camp greg jackson started teaching in 1992 ufc kind of originated in 1993 right so with the rise of the sport the the the, the coach you know coach jackson is like a godfather to mma coaching right? right if you look around the world a lot of like a lot of successful mma camps or whatnot they are former greg jackson students you know that got their start learning from greg himself so um the thing is 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 back in the day you know to a certain point there was only select few camps like probably the two oldest ones was greg jackson and uh, uh aka right javier yep. mendes let's say and as you remember like the pet military system like mm-hmm. the lines and all those camps right they no longer exist right so it's kind of like it's a survival survival of the fittest in a way right like and things happen not that they're bad or bad coaches but just it's progression right things happen right? right things come and go like everywhere else and and uh right now it's competitively really really hard to stay afloat afloat in a way because there's literally in every state there's a successful mma school literally True. so it's repetitively very 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 hard to recruit and, and and bring people here in a way because you know why would people want to go anywhere or you know give up you know their families at work right this upcoming fighter so for people to come to albuquerque and find themselves it's not that easy either because it's albuquerque right like <laughs> what's not much here to do and it's not you know vegas and not miami right so a lot of the super successful teams like american top team or aka or uh a lot of the vegas teams like syndicate or extreme couture i mean they're fortunate enough to be also in some very great locations right a lot of people want to go to vegas and be close to ufc or ucpi or right? a lot of people want to go to miami right because the sun the beach the weather you know a lot of people want to do that mm-hmm. and a lot of teams also have a lot of funding behind it 
you know, like we have millions of dollars dumped into some camps where we don't have that luxury. But we have Greg Jackson and Coach Wink, you know, some of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport. So, and the only, the only, some of the, some of the great uh, benefits I see here is obviously elevation. You know, we have great elevation. A lot of people come here to train at elevation. Mm-hmm. Then the cost of living is here is pretty well, pretty good. Uh, and from what I understand, I don't see a lot of teams that have that can house about 50, 60 fighters at the same time at, at their gym. We probably have the most fighters that stay at the gym at, this, at, this, at the same time. Because a lot of the gyms, they mostly have like limited amount of space on dorms, mm-hmm. but we are we're packed with with a lot of dorms and apartments. So um, obviously, you know, competitively, we do have an edge in certain things. Right. But again, um, I wish we had like a big sponsor that just dumped lots of money so we can recruit more. <laughs> you know, but that's why it's. Um, and we're always looking for sponsors. We have sponsors that obviously do come in and help the gym out and stuff. But self, we're self-sufficient, which I'm proud of. It like we stay afloat on our own basis, on our own scale, and our own hard work. You know, it's much easier when you have millions of dollars pumping into the camp, right? So obviously, then it's easier to recruit and, and pay fighters to join your camp. We, whatever talent comes out of here, it's homegrown in a way. Because if you look at all the majority of highly successful athletes in the sport, or the one that came from Greg Jackson's camp, us homegrown, mm-hmm. you know, homegrown, where it takes years and years and years to develop. And now we're kind of going through a transition where majority of the fighters that became so super famous out of here, they either at the end of retirement already retire. So we're in the process of literally kind of putting our time into bringing up new talent and it takes time. Okay. So, so how many, but, how many coaches work out of the gym and, and are you guys, do you guys limit how many students you will have or will you take whoever wants to come? No, no, there's no limit. Okay. I'm being a little bit more selective of who stays at the gym Okay. now because we're so packed. So I have to actually, cause I get inquiries like every day, like 10, 15 inquiries from all over the world. People ask, Hey, I want to come to the gym. I want to stay at the gym. So, and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of amateurs, uh, inquire as well. And uh, since we're so packed, I have to be a little bit selective because originally the gym was only targeted towards pro fighters, right? You know, so and then once we started blowing up like this, and and we saw uh, how you know crazy popular the gym is becoming, there was a lot of media around it. There was you know like Ariel Helwani coming here, and uh, you know like uh, uh, many many big high level productions teams for like videos and UFC and and stuff. So our gym was always not you know being spoken about about housing and stuff like that. So we got out there really quick, and like gym was just bombarded with inquiries. <laughs> so that's when we started like okay let's start a separate amateur team. You know where we get to develop amateurs and bring them up into the pros and you know and go go from there so that's when we started actually it was like we had only like one wing of the building and dedicated to the um to the uh fighter uh, dormitories and then we just started expanding 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 building and building more and more and more every time we build it gets filled we build it gets filled so we're in the process of possibly like maybe building the third floor in a couple of years wow and then, so when you're working with amateur fighters, do you have like a minimum number of fights you want them to have before you let them make the jump to pro or does it not really, vary? Not really. It all depends because I mean, 
Look at John Jones, for example. He never had amateur fights, right? True. So it's, it all depends. You got some killers. Like I have an Olympian girl coming, Mongolian. She's a, a legendary uh, judo player. She's the first ever woman uh, Mongolian, I think, to, to, to win. No, no, woman, female woman uh, yeah, to win a bronze medal uh, in Olympics. It's just like literally like Ronda Rousey, uh, but of Mongolia. Okay. And then uh, she's like three-time world champion in judo. She won Grand Slam like 10 times. I mean, she's like super decorated. And she's 30 years old. You know, she's transitioning into MMA now. So like for her to get like, you know, an amateur fight might be pretty hard. Like who'd want to, you know, <laughs> True. fight yep. Olympian, you know, at amateurs. But so a lot of some of the athletes like that. They go pro right away, you know. So as long as once the coach is clear, then let me say, you know, I think based on the training and what you're doing, I think you can go pro, you know. So okay, cool, cool. So do you show? No, go ahead. No, it all depends. Like I said, it all depends on the person, what other things they've done. You know, they they have no experience. Right now, a lot of kids coming through, you know, they don't have any type of background in martial arts. They're very young. They want to start out right away in the MMA, you know, like like Roy McDonald was, right? They're just like straight up, you know. But then, you know, some people come with their background already, martial arts background. Okay. But I know, like, our the way we recruit is, even for amateur program, you have to have some kind of martial arts base to start with. We don't start, we don't do completely beginners. Okay. We start with the private sessions and stuff like that. So we can work with them one-on-ones to get them ready for, for um, that type of stuff, like to, to join the amateur program. But if they have some kind of other sports like football, you know, soccer, basketball, baseball, any type of like collegiate level athletes, mm-hmm pro athletes and stuff like that obviously they advance pretty much quicker so okay cool so now you said you have the gracie barra school just around the corner from you do you still compete in jujitsu i'm dying to compete i'm <laughs> dealing with a really really bad back issue Ooh, okay or i supposed to go and get the they call this uh called ablation where they burn burn your nerves it's supposed to like help uh, I guess I haven't actually trained for five months. I'm like probably in the most miserable state of mind for the past five months that I've ever been. Right. I had like steroid injections in my back that didn't do anything. Because like I said, I'm a, I go to through VA since I'm the veteran. So I go, so I'm scheduled for MRI in August. So it's like, I still don't have a diagnosis. I've been struggling. I mean, it's a lot of wear and tear obviously on my body. I'm 42, you know, mm-hmm. and I've been trying some of the best fighters in the world and get beat up by them, you know? So, and they don't spare you, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 42 or not. So they'll put it on you. <laughs> yep. So, and I'll hold my own with every single one of them for the majority of part, but it, you know, and you always fight, it's almost like, you know, especially in grappling and wrestling exchanges, it's always 100% contact, right? So it's not like, and you know how it is. I'm sure you heard them say, hey, let's go easy, let's go blah, blah. And, you know, your clinch is like a world, you know, world world championship right there, you know? Right. So, <laughs> so yeah, my body been through a lot of stuff. So I'm trying to figure out what to do with, uh, with, uh, with my lower back and how to fix it so I can get back into... Uh, into uh, training because I have I have a gold medal in any type of like whatever championship I entered mm-hmm. on every belt level except the black belt ah, because okay. I got my black belt a couple of years ago is actually due due for my first degree this year 
I have to at least get one competition oh, or yeah. as much as I can, obviously, right. to, but to be healthy because uh, I can't train at that pace to get ready for a tournament. Like I'll fall apart like instantly and then I lay in bed for weeks, like crying oh. and moaning about <laughs> because it, it, it's really painful, whatever you show him. Well, hopefully, hopefully you can get it figured out. It'd be, it'd be good to be able to compete again. I hope so. Well, I'm not even concerned about competing as much. I just want to train because right. that's my mental therapy. You know, like I need that. Yep. I need that so bad. And not being able to do it is is almost like, and I'm only 42. Like I feel like an invalid. You know, like where I'm like, listen, is this it? Is it the, the end of my journey in training? Because I don't see my life without it. Yeah, injuries are not fun. That's. I mean, I've been no. doing I've been doing martial arts 38 years. I've had my fair share of injuries. So. <laughs> So, you know. so what advice would you give you know, young people, older people who are looking to get involved in MMA? Uh, and let's say, you know, you mentioned, you know, every, every state has an MMA school. So they're trying to decide between local MMA schools. What should they look for? What are some, what are some advice you'd give them on things to look for and maybe things to avoid in an MMA school that they want, maybe want to get started in? I mean, there's so many things that you have to obviously learn and, and study and things like that. I mean, I am a big, uh, big proponent, obviously a fan of, and uh, as I see of who mostly dominates in MMA and, and, and any kind of sport in a way, right? I mean, wrestlers uh, probably have the most, uh, the most, uh, uh, highest uh, level of athleticism ever seen right like wrestling mm -hmm. is probably the best base for mma as you can see in that type of uh, sport right so if you're super young and you're coming up like uh, i would highly recommend to get your kid to get your kids involved in, in wrestling followed by ground fighting because i think those two are the hardest to uh, to adapt to and learn and stuff like because striking is a little bit more natural right mm -hmm. like punching kicking is like it's just natural you throw a punch right so it's i think it's easier to pick up a little bit later but to get that type of physique and athleticism uh required for high level competition and mma wrestling is is the way to go followed by jiu-jitsu and then striking so to me to me that's if you get into the sport i would highly recommend to get to, to start putting a lot of emphasis on wrestling first okay because that's uh, you know it's very rare when you get uh, like george st pierre was one of the most rarest one where you come from uh you know karateka background karate and become one of the greatest wrestlers in mma right yep but yeah. uh, if you look at the landscape of the mma uh, you can see that the wrestlers dominate for the majority of the part, you know, and then um, so that and and um, if you're looking for schools and things like that, you know, just it just it's uh, it's hard to say. You know, you have to be obviously very aware of your training environment when you get the young kids get into the sport. I mean, obviously, you always have to protect your training partners, right? Without training partners, you wouldn't be able to train. And then you you don't want to be the guy that injures your training partners because a lot of these guys trying to get in the sport, they're the ones that uh, trying to make a living this way, right? And, and, and they want to be able to train for as long as they can. So you don't want to be the guy that injures people, right? right? So you have to be very humble. You have to be very assertive. You have to be very careful the way you train because it's a very physical sport, you know? You go hard, they go hard, and it becomes a full-out fight, you know? 
and then elbows get thrown and knees get thrown and you gotta make sure you always wear a proper training equipment the hygiene is very important right mm -hmm. uh, you train two three times a day you don't want to be that stinky guy or the guy that spreads <laughs> kind of sicknesses and stuff it's a very close close contact right sport so all things like that you just have to be like a good person good training partner Okay. No egos, you know, no, you know, because, and we've all been guilty to it when training, you're being dominated, you lose your cool, you know, it happens in this sport, but again, you just got to make sure that you're not always like that, so the right. gym etiquette. And then uh, respect for your coach is uh, a loyalty to a certain extent. Like if people do a lot of great things for you, you know, uh, you have to acknowledge it. You know, a lot of these kids, they uh, they uh, they don't have any kind of, um, how to say, and I understand it's hard to be loyal. You know, people go wherever things change. People leave gyms. They, right. they go to other gyms or whatnot. You just have to be very, and we, we experienced it a lot where we like sponsor a lot of fighters, right? help a lot of fighters right they don't have a place to live they don't have funds to afford so we trade we try to help people out just in return to literally get slapped in the face you know by young fighters that have no kind of understanding uh they might you know how to be a good person in a way right they just go with the flow so you have to acknowledge when people help you and be grateful you know, even though uh, yeah, I don't look for gratefulness in the way, whatever we do, we do great things for people, uh, you know, out of our good heart too, because we see a lot of young kids struggling, right? So we help a lot of kids. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, they turn away or they go and, you know, leave the team or won't even say thank you for whatever what we did for them you know things like that um and those things hurt you know and then and then the mma is a small sport so karma is real too in a way True. so when i see when things like that happen you know it gets bad to you so for young kids out there you have to you have to be aware like don't burn your bridges you know don't burn your bridges because you'll never know when these people be they cross from you in that same cage where you're going to feel uncomfortable with being like oh damn man i was addicted to them you know <laughs> but uh so just uh just normal human relations like learn normal human relations because if you're trying to make a career in this sport be good to people that are good to you that's great advice so now thinking back you, you've been a fan of the ufc since the beginning and kind of watching this the sport and the ufc change and grow throughout you know the past 25 some years so do you miss the old school ufc those first you know five six seven ufcs when there was almost no rules and it was no weight classes do you miss that or do you prefer the newer stuff actually it's great that you ask because i always talk about it to people oh. when we some old school bird up I, I i miss it a lot nice. i miss it so much because you know it's like the new mma and the way it's like every single weekend you know new fights like i don't look for i don't look forward to them anymore it's oversaturated mm -hmm. even though it's great for the sports became a legitimate sport i was saying to stand right it's like nfl game right every single weekend or whatnot right people watch it or don't watch it or whatever but it's always there right so all these fights are coming out like can we keep up with who is what who is doing you know back in the day you like looked forward to these fights because they were always much rare you know all these personalities the great personalities that were being born they were like unique personalities they were dressed unique they 
protected unique. But now since a Reebok or a uniform code came in, you know, it's all all the same. It's mm -hmm. all the same. So it's not that it's not that much fun. I, and then the judging became like atrocious, like how the home got like so badly screwed in the last fight and was like every almost every other fight is like what the hell are these judges watching? It's like it's like non-stop. So many judging problems, right? Yep. And like the whole world watching it, they see one fighter won, and it's like a consensus. And then, but the judges completely like all over the place with their judging scores, right? So it's. Uh, and of course, I'm happy that uh, so many opportunities for fighters and so many fighters coming from all over the place, you know. Right. But it's like i said it's 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 oversaturated and there's pluses and minuses up there right so there's a lot of great things i'm happy that versus again bigger fighters it's actually becoming more of a good career choice that you can get into it you know it's a short career obviously Definitely. but uh, you know but back in the day it's even though it's a short career but you build your name you still have a lot of great things that can happen to you, you know, for your future, opening a school, coaching, teaching, become a household name. There's so many other opportunities open up, getting to the movies, things like that, right? Getting to other forms of entertainment. Uh, it's, um, it's it's a lot of great things, but again, it's uh, I'm very nostalgic in a way. So yep, same. <laughs> and, and most and most of us are too, right? Most people are. So I'm sure like 10, 10 20 years from now, whoever, is going to talk about now i'm sure this you know depends with be people that oh man i miss old days even though <laughs> you know our old days are completely different to their old days right In very future, true so. yes yes but we are you know i would say this we're literally in the infancy of the sport it's like when muhammad ali was out there right like uh, uh you know uh rocky marciano those days are when the birth of the boxing and when it was so popular and so big right uh when it all started you know now boxing is like over 100 years old right in a way mm -hmm. uh you know and then we've seen like a huge rise of the sport where it stagnated and kind of fell right like boxing is it's not as big anymore right i mean you can agree with that like yeah, oh mean, definitely it's not like Mike Tyson days where just like everyone was so captivated by this, you know, there's no, you know, we're like time stopped when Mike Tyson fought, right? Like everyone yep. just like rushed the TVs and just like the whole, whole world went just like, boom, Mike Tyson's fight, right? Now, like none of that exists. Like no, none of it's like, there's no excitement, even about MMA or boxing, right? Right. It's, it's nothing like this. It's so mainstream. They just, oh, whatever, you know, back it was like more emotion or more, you know, it's like more attachment to the sport more like you know you watch it with your open mouth like oh, my thighs are walking out you know <laughs> none of this like this exists no more and then um so but we are also in the infancy of the sport like literally the mma became so popular in our lifetime right in mm -hmm. our lifetime our lifetime majority of kids that are growing right, grow up right now they have no idea who is like always gracie or you know they they say you know what i'm saying like but even though it's like only 30 years or so right the mma been around like this you've yep. seen stuff so it happened in our lifetime when like i was born like you know i was already kind of like boxing was already at the highest peak you know mm -hmm. so we didn't know what it was like during Rocky Marciano and uh, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman days and Very true. Uh, Ray know it was like the beginning of boxing when guys fought like 15 rounds, you know, and there's like bloodbath and 
and things like that. So we are in the infancy in the beginning of this sport. And even look at it like within the first, within 20, 30 years when the guys were literally fighting three, three, you know, three fights a night or five fights a night, tournaments, yeah. right? You don't know who is who, who's fighting. You know, guys here, 200, 300 fights underground, eight fight tournaments, 16 men tournaments, like Igor Vovchanchin, if you remember from Pride, like big mm -hmm. fan of him, like those names, you know, that if you talk to newcomers right now, it's like, they don't even know who the hell these guys are, you know, but we grew up during those times when it was like just the beginning of MMA. So it was kind of, you know, you could say when you, you know, when we get to 70, 80, like we were, we were there during those times. We watched it grow from where it was to look where it's now, right? It's like guys are making $5 million, $10 million a fight, big names, right? Where before it was just like, I mean, whatever your purses were, it was obviously not even close to yeah, that. So a couple thousand cool maybe. To, right? So it was, or a lot of those tournaments were like underground for like, I don't know, here's a trophy, bye-bye. Yep. <laughs> you know, so. Here's, yeah, here's, here's, a, here's a hundred bucks for your gas money. <laughs> Thanks for fighting. Uh, brain damage, broken jaw, broken nose, go fix yourself. Yep. It's just, That's crazy. It's def definitely been something to watch over the last 30 years. So. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, be cool. so then throughout your, your martial arts career, is there a couple martial artists that you'd put on the top of your list, like a Mount Rushmore, just some martial artists you really look up to, whether they're people you've actually trained with and met or, or just, you know, people you've admired, uh, who were a couple martial artists that you'd put on the top of your list? Well, I grew up, um, I grew up obviously, uh, being a big fan of watching Fyodor Emelianenko, right? Plus, it was a home, yes, home, definitely. home guy, right? was Russian and stuff. So, um, uh, he would be up there, definitely. I mean, no one has made that much impact as Fyodor in, in MMA, right? Even though never fighting in the UFC, right? Mm -hmm. So, he would be on there. I'd put Habib in there. Nice. Because, well, a little bias. I worked with him, and he's a great human being. I really liked him a lot and what he's done. And, you know, I know he didn't have a lot of title defenses, but uh, he uh, retired on top, never beaten, you know, dominated everybody. So I put him up there. Um, I put uh, Holly Holm up there. Obviously, she's from our team and stuff, and I know she's older now. And, it's a little bit hard, obviously, to compete at that level in a way, but what she's achieved with uh, within the boxing, she was just inducted into International Boxing yep. Hall of Fame four weeks ago, you know, uh, and then to win the UFC title and still competing and still uh, going there. Holly, for me, is is absolute legend and a champion. I mean, I had a big fallout with John Jones, obviously, at the mm -hmm. camp, but can't deny his greatness, right? So, right. so um, he's a, I'd say, Muhammad Ali of, of oh, boxing. Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know. Very so, cool. uh, put the aside his, uh, you know, all the controversies and stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's so many. Yeah, some um, good answers, though. Some really good answers. So, uh, yeah, there's so many great things. I mean, it's that, that the mountain, mountain Rushmore is interchangeable, like nonstop, you know. So, new new faces come up, exactly. New name, new, new, new legends come up. The older one got forgotten, even though they were like the biggest ones. So, who knows, man? And that's one that can change. I mean, I've asked people that question a year apart and they've had completely different answers. So, it's yeah, you know, it'll never be the same. There's thousands of fighters and hundreds of top names. Right. But boxing, like, who do you put on there? Who knows? You know, so many greats. Yep. Nice. And so nice. this that that goat. When people speak of a goat, it's also so many different 
things you can say. Right. Cool. Okay. So then in all your years of training in martial arts, whether it be, you know, Sambo, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, everything else, is there any philosophy that you've learned that just really, really is important to you and, and, and you keep teaching yourself to other students and it's just, you know, to the top of your list for philosophies that you've learned? Well, as you saw, like uh, when you asked me about the amateur fighters and what the advice I have, I mean, mm-hmm. those are my focus, even though, like, for pro and amateur athletes, are just the philosophy is you got to, I mean, and you got to be a good person, right? Like, all in and out, you know, yep. and and uh, outside of it, I mean, I've met so many crazy people in this sport that do so much dumb <laughs> shit, I'm sorry, yep. that compromise their careers in so many ways, so many talented people that never reach their potential. I had guys, that, I mean, I, I, I've seen thousands of fighters come through, right, and work through. I mean, this this sport is, and this camp is something to, I mean, it's, we're working on, like, re- working on a reality show, you know, like, people need to see, uh, like, the type of characters come through this, this sport and, and how many people I dealt with, so on. It's, it's always, uh, again, that's exactly what I was I was teaching. Like, I mean, I know philosophy. I, we can be philosophical and talk about it for hours, right, right. in a way. But, but it just, just be a good, decent person. And most people know deep down inside what's good what's bad right so it's try to to and we all deal with a lot of a lot of different things like because uh the the public uh when they look at the fights and they only see uh 10 15 25 whatever as many rounds the fight goes right that's mm-hmm. the only way to judge and see uh and judge you and you know you're on the microscope right you're on the magnifying glass non-stop as a professional fighter and or any type of competitor right you always people watching you and stuff so it's easy to go sideways that's why you see a lot of fighters uh, fall through or don't reach their potential because their mental state you know because of a lot of majority of people know how to fight because all they do is train right they all know so usually it's whoever wins is more of a mental whoever breaks to their mental barriers the way i see it you know whoever uh whoever controls their own demons in a way right because look at john jones and look at mike tyson and look at a lot of all these horrible fighters and how much crazy stuff they've done right mm-hmm. these guys do a lot of demons you know i mean you get knocked out or getting punched in the face in front of uh, in front of the whole world you're so exposed so many things right so i think it's the best ones are the ones that control your demons control your emotions are able to lock them in the closet you know and and uh to be able to perform in front of the world you know while so many things are hunting you so Mm -hmm. people don't see what happens with people personal lives and how many things you know the injuries that they deal with and so many other uh, mental aspects that have to be conquered before step in the cage. So uh, there's a lot of things that fighters deal with before they fight. So, uh, but the people are too easy to judge them, you know, based on whatever their performance. And uh, imagine to to try to stay on top of your game all the time, every single competition, when all these guys just compete every single weekend, up to the big shows, you know. So, you know, the wrestlers or strikers, a lot of the guys that get to the big shows, they have so much competition experience and so much stuff, right? Then they have to overcome and so many nagging injuries and stuff like that. That So 
yeah, it's all about the inner demons and how you deal with your mental state. I think that's it. If you don't go off the rails, because I've seen a lot of fighters, fighters fall through, and it's when you see like domestic violence, alcohol abuse, drug right. usage, all that stuff, right? So, because um, uh, let's say you don't make it, right? You're really good, but let's say, you know, you're good, doing very, very well, and you're like, your expectations are so high. And you're like right there, right? I can be UFC champion. You get knocked out so bad, right? Where like um, you can't comprehend it, right? And then like boom, it's the end of the career. So what's next? What's next? What happens next, right? right, right. Imagine all, all. That's why I always tell the fighters: don't put all the eggs in one basket. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You know, always tell the guys: you are literally one punch away from never doing it ever again. So be realistic about it. You have to, you know, you're young right now. You're reckless. You don't know. You don't know what the future holds for you. No one does, right? But, and as they say, you're in control of your own destiny. Yes and no, right? Because mm -hmm. we can't control our destinies, you know? You can die any minute of the day from a thousand different things. Remember the movie Thousand Ways to Die? Yep. Right? So, and uh, but here you are in this very super dangerous sport. So and you you know you you've been preparing for your whole life to fight, and you love doing it. And then this happens, or you break your leg, or you 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 break your arm, or something like this. So you have to know what you're going to do next. Like at least you have to prepare for things not going your way. Right. No, that's great advice. Yeah. Great advice. That's, yeah, because this is my philosophy behind it, because it's kind of almost happened to me. I never got a chance to compete in the web because mm -hmm. there's so many roadblocks, you know. So be ready for real life, because people look up to those that made it, and they're like, oh, I'm going to make it. I wanna, they dream big, and it's okay to dream big. We all dream big, right? But do the dreams always come true? In my sense, and me personally, yes, my dream came true to a certain extent. I really wanted to be in this business really, really bad. Like I was so wanted to succeed and do and be in the sport because I loved it so much. And it happened to me. And, you know, a lot of guys dream to compete in the UFC and you get there. But how many become the UFC champions, right? It's cream of the crop rise up. So if this doesn't happen to you, what is your alternative? What is your next step in life? Because you're still very young, right? You're yeah. still very young when you're chasing that sport. You know, how many guys become household names without without ever winning a championship? True. But, you know, they win, 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 lose, win, 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 lose. Still household names, still make a decent amount of money, can make a career. But again, it's, it's always 50-50, you know, so... That's my philosophy behind how the sport operates, and and this is the advice for the people I always tell: like, be very careful. Nice. No, that's good. That's good. All right, I got a few fun questions to wrap it up. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Oh man, it's been a while that I <laughs> I read any books, man, because I'm like literally working twenty four seven. Right. Uh, honestly, I really don't, my friend, because okay, it's not the era of the books anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's more, you know, just watch movies and videos and you learn more, you know, visually than even though I do like read the books and I wish I had more time. But um, 
I can't answer that. I've read a bunch of uh, martial arts books, but I can't like literally. No, no problem. No problem. So you grew up in the eighties and nineties. Did you have a favorite martial arts video game? Did you play games when video games when you were younger? Well, yeah, I still played. Okay. I still play. I games but obviously it was always mortal combat nice i remember the Sega days and uh, stuff like that i mean that was hooked on it that was a fun game yeah that's uh i haven't played mortal combat in about 20 years but i used to love playing it <laughs> okay how about a favorite martial arts tv show tv show oh well mma show is kingdom kingdom oh, is one great of the show. best yes have you seen it oh i love that love it. i binge watched the whole thing yep <laughs> Did you know, you know, with Frank Grillo, right? You know, yes. he, he, he came to the gym, actually. You know, Greg Jackson made that movie. No, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, look it up. Greg Jackson and Frank Grillo and Belasco, I think his last name, the guy that made that. Yeah, they, that's, uh, if you look at when you watch the movie, uh, Frank Grillo in his office, and in the background of his TV, you got a YouTube video playing about our gym. Oh, nice. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, if you look, there's majority of the fighters in the gym and the um, in the in the in the series are our guys, Demarcy wow. Page, Cap Swanson, uh, there's a bunch of guys in there. I forgot the names. Uh, they're all our guys. Okay. And then uh, one of the main actors, I forgot, he's uh, the guy, the Destroyer. Yep. Uh, he was at the gym couple couple times too. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, such so, such a good show. I found it by accident. I completely yes. forgot, and I was like, oh, this is so good. And I watched the whole thing in like two weeks. So. Yeah, by far the best. Uh, there's the movies, obviously, but as a series, like a TV show, yeah. this is not the one in, about MMA. No one ever done anything better like this. Yeah, agreed. I'm actually trying to get Frank on my show. I haven't 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 had a response yet, but I'd love to interview him. So he'd be a fun one. But maybe right. if you try, uh, uh, maybe hit him up and say, "Hey, uh, um, I'll actually, you know what? Um, I'll I'll try to set up uh, Greg Jackson with you." Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, after we're done and stuff, I'll try to, uh, I'll work on it. And then maybe once you do that one, you'll um, you'll talk to Greg Jackson about oh. Frank Grillo and that movie. So, Greg, and then you can approach Frank Grillo, kind of send a message, say, hey, man, I just had Greg Jackson. He spoke about you and stuff like that. So maybe that would be one of the good ways oh. for you to get Frank That'd Grillo. Cool. I'd, appreciate, I'd appreciate that. So, yeah. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. F- Greg fi- final question. Favorite martial yeah. arts movie? Martin Bloodsport. Nice. Yeah. Okay. The best. Yeah. The best. I love and it. And another one, Kickboxer. Yes. You know, you know, actually, a little trivia for you. Uh, 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 you know, remember the Kickboxer, right? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh-huh. Yep. I ran to fight Taipo, and when his brother gets paralyzed, right? Yep. Taipo, Dennis, Dennis Alexio, yep. Alexio. So, fun fact for you, Coach Winklejohn fought Dennis Alexio. Really? Back in the day. Okay. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, he lost to him, but Coach Wink was still young and up and coming. Uh, and Dennis Alexi was already like undefeated world champion. Wow. And absolute badass. And yeah, Coach Wink fought some of some legendary, legendary figures in back in the kickboxing my tie days. He fought that Dragon Wilson. Uh, I forgot his first yep, name. Don the Dragon Wilson, yep. Uh, Don Dragon Wilson, yeah. He fought, yeah, he fought some big names. He, Those are my best you know, did he, did he ever fight uh, Benny the Jet? I'm not Daniel the Jet, no, okay. no, but okay. they, they know each other very well. Yeah, Coach Winklejohn is a 
very, very big figure of the old school kickboxing might say I was multiple time world champion. Nice. Yeah. I've, I've interviewed a few kickboxing guys. I'm actually trying to get Don Wilson. He said, yes, I just got to get that scheduled. So hopefully I'll have Don the dragon on my show. And I've interviewed uh, like Joe Corley, who was a kickboxer back in the day and some other guys. So very, very I can, cool. I can hook you out with lots of interviews, even with, if you want to some like up and coming guys or like mid level guys that is like kind of making decent name for themselves. I mm-hmm. can, uh, I can, uh, I can send some guys your way. No, that'd be cool. I'd, I'd appreciate that. So, well, Michael, I just want to, I want to thank you so much. Seriously, this has been such a fun interview. I, I, I knew very little about you at all. And I have just reading your, your short bio on the website, but you have such a cool story. I mean, you, I mean, you literally talk about the American dream, literally got your dream job and, and just, I mean, you, you sound like you're just living the dream and you love what you're doing and you have the perfect job and, and you're in a you know one of the you know top MMA schools in in history, which is awesome. So I mean, it's just been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, sir. Likewise, I really appreciate it, sir. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist, and we'll see you next week.